0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen Your Movies Review and Discussion Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy.
1: And I'm Corwin Heller. Josh, did you uh, did you struggle to remember the name of our podcast just
0: then? It took me a minute to remember which one we were doing.
1: (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. And I I don't feel bad. Nope. No, it's very confusing.
0: Uh we are here today to talk about the twenty sixteen film Nocturnal Animals and the nineteen ninety-nine film All About My Mother. Corbin, where would you like to start today?
1: I am indifferent.
0: All indifferent. Righty then. Let's start with Nocturnal Animals because it is first in my computer. So there okay. we go. Um I have a computer? I've got I've got two, but one of them belongs to the person who pays me. So,
1: oh yeah. Jesus Christ.
0: Our Lord and Savior. <laughs> uh Nocturnal <laughs> Animals. Yes. 2016 it is written and directed by Tom Ford, the novel that this film is based off of by Austin Wright. It stars Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Shannon. Um do we have an estimated budget? Uh, $22.5 <laughs> $22. million. Damn. Cumulative worldwide gross, $30 million. Oof. Um, Gross domestic, $10.6 million. Oof, oof, oof. This is oof city over here. Wow.
1: Oof city. Golly.
0: Um, The tagline is, when you love someone, you can't just throw it away.
1: Um, Hmm okay
0: yeah uh, all, all right uh, I don't
1: necessarily dislike it I just don't know if it fits as well as it I don't you know what no it almost I makes actively sense. don't like it I it, don't like it because it doesn't make sense and it,
0: yeah yeah
1: it doesn't really fit what the rest of the movies trying to do it, is,
0: it almost is right but it isn't but it isn't yeah.
1: That's big. It isn't. It's a big one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, this film does have one Oscar nomination that is for best performance by an actor in a supporting role for Michael Shannon, who is in this and did who a good, good job. Um, it is about a wealthy art gallery owner who is haunted by her ex-husband's novel, a violent thriller she interprets as a symbolic revenge tale. Corwin, hello. This was your film. I'm going to let you get us started.
1: Oh, my God. Um, so this was one of those movies that I never really heard of coming out. I never really was too interested in it after, you know, seeing glimpses, seeing screenshots, seeing, you know, promotional material. And it's, it never really was anything on my radar. Um, especially, you know, it being a Tom Ford film, you know, famous English um, fashion designer. It, it Honestly, that part I didn't even know until um i looked into who directed it because i was very impressed and was blown away that the guy who made underwear that i own uh happens to uh direct really great movies really well-made movies um but this this movie blew me away because not only were kind of you know expectations low and there wasn't a whole lot i was expecting to come out of this but I can't say I've seen a movie that was so effective in its ability to make me uncomfortable. There have been movies that have made me incredibly uncomfortable, but it's really mostly just, you know, the subject material or my own idiosyncrasies that, you know, listen, I'm a weird guy. I've got a lot of them. A lot of stuff is not the most comfortable to me, but this was just fabricated and forced in a way from the start from the opening scene that was just like wow that is unbelievable i can't believe how well he's making me want to be anywhere else and it was done in a way where like i didn't want to watch the end of that movie because of again how uncomfortable it was making me but i could not look away from the screen Because I had to know what came next. I had to know how the story continued. I had to know what was going on. And I, I, I'm a big fan of this film. I'll let you go.
0: All right. Um, I hated this.
1: Cool. Uh, When was the last time we really agreed on a movie?
0: Um, I'd have to flip through our episodes to see what the last movie. Well, I mean, last episode, Big Lebowski.
1: That's true, it did. But like I also loved that movie, and you were like, this is a really great movie, yeah, this is really good, but I don't know if it was the same kind of love affair.
0: No, I I, I love that movie.
1: Okay, then yeah. I'm wrong. I don't have a good memory, so that's fine.
0: Yeah, eat a dick. And the father okay. before that. It uh, was genuinely loved.
1: Yeah. So it really wasn't that long of a, of a period of time.
0: No, no, it was just our large disagreement over um, Mortal Kombat, really.
1: Uh, i I got a work call coming in can uh can we put this on pause for a sec all
0: yeah. right we're back after a brief pause intermission due to after hours work bullshit that corwin does not deserve to have to deal with but anyway yep. we're back
1: disagree with you there
0: but we will disagree about this movie um <laughs> so my one of my main criticisms and you know, there's a lot to talk about with this because of the actual plot within the plot of this movie. But my, my, the biggest thing that I just could not stand, and this is very reductionist, is that absolutely nothing happens in this movie. Because the vast majority of this movie is about a woman reading a book. And I, I could not get past that in my mind and it was infuriating for me that if you think about what happens in the real world of this movie, it is this woman gets a copy of a manuscript from her Uh ex-husband, reads it, uh, has a phone call with her husband, in which you see him cheating on her. Doesn't really get into that. Uh, And then her going to a restaurant at some undetermined period of time later and getting stood up. And that's the whole movie in what happens in the real world. The rest of it is a woman reading a book and then intermittently dropping it, acting very scared and surprised, which, oh my God, the melodrama. Um, And that's it. Nothing really happens in this movie.
1: So yes and no i will agree and disagree with you on
0: it is reductionist i i I will own that it is very reductionist it's
1: it's one of those things where it's like yes in the real world of this movie yeah nothing happens um at the end of the day though it's a movie about a woman reading a book so the book still kind of has to be a part of what you're it's still a part of the story. Like it's still, you know, everything about this film is fiction. It's just, it's fiction inside of fiction or, you know, just purely, it's like inception. There's, there's layers. It's an onion. This movie is essentially Shrek.
0: Right. But the, in inception, each layer into the dream world that you go, the consequences therein are still real. Right. The consequences in the book, that she's reading ultimately don't they, they matter in so much as she receives some meaning from them, which is all well and good, but it's like 75% of the movie. And so it it can only matter so
1: much. And still, you know, again, like there's the idea that none of this really matters because it's all fiction. Like it's all a fictional story. It doesn't really matter. As much about, you know, what I'm, it's hard to focus on, like, what I'm trying to get at, but, like, it's a story with a story in it. Like, yes, it doesn't really matter much to the quote-unquote real world of nocturnal animals, you know, the the woman reading this book that her, you know, ex-husband sent her. Yes, it doesn't affect that in, you know, the, the literal sense, but it's still... It's still a part of the story. It's still a part of the movie. It's just, you know, there's two storylines going on, and one of them is something that you aren't going to... Uh, I'm just going to stop that there. It's not going to go anywhere, but...
0: I, I, I know what you're getting at. I, and yeah. my, my problem with it is that it's so much of the film that I don't think it effectively accomplishes what it is going for, which I I get. And it chews up so much of what happens and gets discussed or explored or interpreted so very little in Amy Adams's day-to-day life that it just, it, it should be the B-plot and it's the A-plot.
1: Uh, I will completely agree with that. The book story should just be the story. By no means should, you know, the the whole premise of, like, a woman not being able to sleep and, and having a shitty yeah. marriage. And Every like time like, I don't... the movie
0: goes to Amy Adams's life, the movie gets worse.
1: Right. I will also say I think it's very necessary that they do cut back because... There is only so much continuous talk about a brutal rape and murder, and the inability to really find true justice that I can take in a row without kind of just like, I can't do this anymore, like, that's just too much. Right.
0: No, and, and I get that. Um, what, what, I, what I mean by it is so. I read the,
1: for one of the very few times I've
0: ever done it, I read the description of this movie because I, like you, was like, how on earth did I miss this movie? It had an Oscar nomination. It has three actors in it I really like. Like, how, and it's relatively recent. How did I miss this? So I was reading about it. And when I was reading I expected there to be some more dissection on the part of Amy Adams about what specifically relates to her life. Like, what she's taking out of this other than here is an imaginary world that Jake Gyllenhaal constructed in which him and Amy Adams never broke up. They had this kid and, you know, then all this terrible stuff happens. It's fictionalized, but the, the ultimate point being that it was all, that they were both ripped away from him in some type of way. And that's how he feels in real life. He feels as though they got pulled away from him um, by, by some force. Right. And, And I expected there to be along that journey and along that path of realization for Amy Adams, you would see moments of it reflected in her life. And all you really get is a phone call to her daughter after the daughter is also found dead with the mother. And it's like, okay, that's the end of that. Like she calls the daughter who's, naked for like literally no reason and then that hey hey how you doing mom i'm tired i'm going back to bed okay honey i love you end of call never hear from that woman again and uh like again like uh, a phone call to the husband as he's getting ready to go bang a stranger or his girlfriend or whatever like it doesn't affect it doesn't get dissected within Amy Adams's day and, and life and existence really until the end of the movie, when you have to kind of interpret where Jake Gyllenhaal is, or at least why Amy Adams is alone, why she ended up there, blah, 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 But it, it shouldn't take two hours of, of film to get just that.
1: And I don't, disagree that you know the story outside of the story is completely lacking I mean it's it's already been mentioned by both of us neither of us think that was you know the enjoyable aspect of the film I really think it, it was just a platform in which to tell this story like the story of Jake Gyllenhaal and you know his wife and daughter in a way that shows how someone would react I don't know. Like, I think it was really just a platform to tell that story without just telling that story. Like, I think they wanted to tell that, but at the end of the day, you know, there is a very different movie to be told when you have to include everything that you include with the Jake Jalen Hall if you wanted to tell a complete film. And I just don't know if that's necessarily something they were even wanting to do. And I know it's, you know, a book that they were basing this off off of. And that's, you know, by all means, you have to kind of follow the narrative of the book.
0: (sighs) And I'm sure that I'm sure that there's a lot of elements in the book where the things that I want to have happened happened. I'm sure that there's moments of thought in the book, you know, like after amy adams finishes a chapter or a particularly difficult passage or whatever where she like thinks about what that meant or whatever like it, it there's so much quiet literally just amy adams reading a book shots that seem like they would probably have in their monologues running in a book mm-hmm. that just didn't make it to the screen Corinne and i talk about this all the time that that can be a huge hang up in books that get adapted to movies is the inward stuff that like if amy adams was just talking to herself in her uh, home that would mm-hmm. probably look super fucking weird so you know it's like you, you 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 get it it but it doesn't look good but you get it and it's it's like where is these they're different mediums you know like that's what it comes down to i would i would also like to ask Because I had, when I looked this up, I was floored because it was very confusing for me at the time. When they flash back to Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal first meeting, you know, Mm -hmm. um, how far back in time do you think that was?
1: Uh, It made me seem like it was like a year, six months removed from when someone would like 21 years old. So how many? uh, Very fair.
0: how old do you think that they are when this movie takes place?
1: They have to be like. They have to be like 40. So you're going solid 20 years. Well, they said like you. Oh, you guys haven't talked in what 20 years. Oh, it was 19. Oh, 19. And at the end of the day, like at, to some degree, it's like, OK. That kind of adds up. At no point do I think Amy Adams at the. um like towards the end of the movie like when she's the older version of herself the oldest version of herself does she look 40 cuz i mean Amy Adams very attractive person looks very young um i think they did a good job of making her look like 20 but i just that doesn't leave any room for like anything else to happen it's like all right they met when they were like 21 sure they must have gone through that fairly no because they have to be like mid 40s at least because that's what threw me off in my mind how long she was married to jake jill like that doesn't even include her marriage to jake jill hall's character
0: i i know so because in my mind i was like they're 30
1: and right i'm right and, there with you like it's, yeah. it looks like army hammer looks like he could B 28 and, and also
0: they do not age down army hammer at all
1: No, <laughs> when it comes because, to being army hammer just looks like his
0: right but it threw me off so much because i i missed that line as i often miss lines here and there um because josh doesn't watch the movies i never He's do out. i spark notes them all and make my decisions based on the written word um because I, they, they mentioned a brief line about how like he was uh, – she was at Yale and he was at like University of Texas at Austin or some shit like that. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Who? How? And I, I, I think it's, it's indicative of the entire Amy Adams part, which is her story is so rushed and there's so little detail to it that it kind of doesn't make the ending very impactful in my view. Because you get a quick spurt of she works in an art gallery. Okay, cool. She at one point met Jake Hall. They hit it off, obviously. Um, she criticized his writing one time, and I guess that led to the devolution of their entire relationship. Seems a bit rushed, but okay. They very quickly, throw this whole abortion thing in there. Army Hammer's here now. I don't really know how they met. It doesn't really matter, I guess. But
1: they met in class.
0: Oh, that's right. Or they did in a class. movie
1: theater or something like that.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. She, uh, he was sitting behind her, and they like she like looked back at him, and she was like, "I'm gonna fuck that Joe," and then she did, I guess. Um, and, and then
1: Army Hammer tried to eat her because that's his fetish. It was a whole thing.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so you get that, and then there's this like. The shot of her at work was, I thought. The scenes of her at work, I thought, were just bizarre. Like, like, like you get like little itty bitty right? Like snippets. her
1: in the real world after time has passed is everything about her screams unsettling. And well, no, I think-
0: to me, it screams incomplete because I, I don't, I don't think she gets enough screen time to make her feel like a character. You know, it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're watching a movie that has a narrator. And then you at some point just see the narrator like living their life completely disconnected from what else is happening in the real world of the film. And you're just like, why am I watching this?
1: Because I picked it.
0: <laughs> but you know what I mean? Because like that's essentially what Amy Adams' character is, just without any dialogue. She's essentially a narrator, someone who is observing the film from a third person perspective. But just she doesn't doesn't actually like voice anything over, and so like when you go to her life, it's like uh, okay, all right, we're yeah, that's cool, we're here now. You're at work, okay. I don't know why you're at, I don't know why we're looking at this. Sure, like it, none of it lands.
1: I guess I don't know. I, I was kind of more enthralled with the narrative of what was going on in in the book story and and what was going on to. I thought the story was was interesting enough to always keep me interested and always keep me entertained. And it kind of kept me from noticing all those little inconsistencies and little things that you typically would notice when you're not quite like, you know, when we watch movies that we just don't really give a shit about. And it's very, very easy to notice everything you really hate. This wasn't one of those for me. I very much just enjoyed watching it.
0: We had opposite experiences from last week, where I had that with Mortal Kombat, and you did not.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Or I will say, as Corwin said last week, why can't this movie just be better?
1: That's fair. (laughs) Why can't the movie be better?
0: Um, Obviously, there's there's a lot more that to get into because we really only talked about the Amy Adams side of it, Um, and you know, there's this whole Jake Gyllenhaal thriller justice porn kind of thing happening in there too um do you do you have any comments on that because i do want to make sure we're conscious of time with it i know Um, i chewed up a lot of it complaining
1: uh it's one of those things where it's you know if you've listened to this enough you kind of have a very good understanding of josh and i's political views and and how just how liberal we we are um you know focusing specifically here on, on social causes and throughout that entire scene uh, with the cars uh, and them driving and everything like that. It's like, I, I could not imagine living in a place like that, living in, you know, Texas, living in a place where, you know, we live in, in New Jersey, we live in Pennsylvania. Like it it's difficult for us to go anywhere where we're not within shouting dis- distance of another person of other people, you know, we never go anywhere, you know, near our homes, you know, where we're out of cell range, out of self-service range, I should say. And the idea of, you know, being in Texas where, you know, everyone is, is armed. Everyone, you know, is, is kind of at a point where, you know, if you're out in these backwoods, if you're out in the bush, so to say, Or, so to speak, you know, people aren't necessarily always going to be friendly towards you. You know, they're not always going to be the good people. and, And it's very clear here with, you know, that's how that goes. And just the idea of not having any sort of protection, not having any sort of defense against just anyone who decides to do this. And you are just completely, utterly powerless. And they're like watching that, trying to put myself in jake gyllenhaal's shoes and try and think okay what are what are your choices here like what could you possibly do to get yourself and your family out of that situation safely i you know outside of not stopping whatsoever and just trying to muscle your way past them which by all means i i don't know if you're even capable of doing and that's only going to kind of aggravate the situation it is just it is so tough to kind of understand that there's and how you can live with that knowing in your mind how you have to have you have to go back and do something because the outcome is just so unbearable to live with but knowing like there really wasn't anything you could do oh god yeah, it got to me a little bit. And I thought this was, you know, with all the issues with the A storyline and the B storyline and, and that lack of connection, I thought it was such a well done story emotionally and just being able to draw these things out of you and make you feel the way you feel watching it. You know, we talk about how writing is such a big thing in films and, you know, technical production, technical style, you know, making it enjoyable and watchable is so important but at the end of the day there's certain films that are just meant to be that kind of emotional reaction like it's not really meant to be this shakespearean you know beautifully written beautifully composed you know piece it's not meant to be considered a literary work of art you know in in visual form it's just meant to draw this kind of reaction from you and i think the fact that this is you know tom ford doing this you know someone who has a long history in fashion and and you know success in fashion that you know the visual the stylized essence of this movie is so pure and just so well crafted i think it's fantastic um and what it's what makes me so okay with kind of having a so so narrative story is what i think this movie was trying to accomplish and what i think it did accomplish with the emotional gut instinct reactionary just yes effect um was just unbelievable i don't even care if it was a poorly you know composed story with these two together i'm just such a big fan of the emotional aspect of it.
0: I didn't like that part either, honestly. Well, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I don't think it was
1: very good. <laughs> what about it? Because I feel like we should get into that at least.
0: And I, I think it. I think it's handicapped by the fact that this film tries to do a lot. Because one of my big complaints about the, I guess we'll just call it the B story, the Jake Hall story is the lopsided storytelling part of it. It doesn't really give full breadth to accomplish, I think, much of anything. You see his wife and daughter get taken, and then they end up finding them dead later on. And then nearly instantaneously, we are a year later. He's still there. The cop he's working with is dying of cancer, like soon and is also still working which is okay uh well they find two of the three guys
1: it's not like he's still there and they're searching the whole time like he's comes back because they found the one guy who was a part of it who was the suspect earlier and that's when he finds out he's dying (laughs)
0: No, I I I know, but he also says he has like what like 3 months to live or some shit like that?
1: Uh no, he said about a year. He said a year? Okay. A year after he comes back after they find those guys.
0: Okay. Regardless He eventually finds the guy. There's no admission of guilt. And there's supposed to be this whole thing where I think it's supposed to be trying to plant some seed of doubt into the viewer's mind. Well, into Jay Gyllenhaal's mind, but into the viewer's mind about whether these are the right guys at all. Uh, It's a a year later. You know, he seems very sure that he didn't do it. Uh, Whatever.
1: uh, I don't know about that part. I, I very much disagree with the laying those seeds of doubt.
0: It doesn't matter. I, okay. I, I really, yeah, yeah going, I, I'm not going to hinge upon that part. If, if you say you didn't get it, I, it's not anything that has to do with anything in my mind. Um, it just felt very anticlimactic, in, in large part because the, the bad guy seems like a fucking idiot. And I, I get that the randomness of violence can be part of the fear of violence. And that doesn't change the fact that the wife and daughter are still dead in a very brutal fashion. And all of that that comes with that. But the guy that, that did it seems like, a, I I mean, like a fucking moron. And it's tough to look at that guy and be like the face of evil when you were like sporting mutton chops. I, I It didn't have any weight. And additionally, I thought that the way that they kind of got into everything was like crazy stupid. I didn't find it tense in the slightest. I was... Screaming like every minute through of it, like why are you doing this? You are such a moron. Why are you stopping? Just fucking drive. Just keep going. Go farther.
1: I mean, drive more. he, He literally pitted him off the road and gave him a flat tire. Like he
0: he did that because he chose to drive next to him for like a half a mile.
1: Right. Speed but he's, up or he's slow not down driving, you know, a, a sports car. He's driving like an old 70s Mercedes. Like
0: you still don't have to drive the same speed as the people right. you're afraid Like what I'm of. saying is
1: like that thing doesn't really go faster than like 75. Like the, So push no it to 75 and away. keep
0: moving. Be variable. Eventually slow down. Let the people go past you. Do something other than what he did, which was literally nothing. He let them just chill next. Dude, when I see someone driving a little bit too sorby on the road, I go faster to get out of the way. Either let them zoom on past you because their car goes faster or eventually slow down so that they get bored and just keep going. Like, like there, there was ways to navigate the situation better than the fuck, just like we're just going to keep driving the same speed and let them do whatever they want to do.
1: I feel like the whole premise was, you know, he was trying to de-escalate the situation that way of just like, Hey, you know, just keep looking ahead. Like, just don't even give them the light of day. They're going to get bored. They'll give up like whatever. But like the daughter escalates, it pisses them off. And it clearly aggravates them to the point where, you know, they pull up in front of him. They slam their brakes. So he hits them. And then, that gives them kind of the rationale of, hey, you need to pull over now because you hit us. And then he's like, no, I'm just going to keep going and just avoid this, just like, let it go. Like, I'm not dealing with this. And then that's when they keep getting more and more angry that they're not giving them that light of day, not pulling over, not giving them that attention. And that's when they force them off the road. And, you know, that's the whole thing of like, trying to put myself in those shoes like all right what would I what would I have done differently and it's it's hard like looking at the circumstances looking at you know the different factors involved and there really wasn't much he could have done because they were forcing that situation upon him and de-escalating didn't work you can't really escalate because you don't have that kind of leverage you don't have the ability to you know, you can't outrun them. You can't ignore them. You can't fight them off. There really weren't any choices he could have done that would have been successful other than, you know, staying... Like, the whole thing started off with, you know, him honking his horn because they were driving the same speed. You and I both would have done the same thing. And then from that point on he doesn't do anything to escalate it. It's all de-escalation and it's just not allowing them to leave that situation as a whole.
0: I, I understand that. And I I think what I would have done differently is literally everything.
1: Okay. What would you have done though?
0: First off, I wouldn't have fucking honked at the guy. Jeez, who gives a shit
1: Josh? in the first place? Josh. Yes. I have driven in the car with you. (laughs) You I would have honked your horn.
0: Absolutely not. I, you, have to, you have to know where you are, my friend. On a, on a busy highway, on the Garden State Parkway, at noon? Absolutely. My friend, I've driven through Irvington at night. I ain't been honking at shit. You know how many times I've gotten cut off in Newark? Mm. Never once honked my fucking horn. You got to know where the fuck you are. Yeah, okay. This guy's a fucking idiot for doing that in the first place. A dark country road with no lights. You're the only three cars in the area. Fuck are you doing, you goddamn idiot family in the car? No, absolutely not. And again, keep it pushing. There's no reason to stop.
1: I want to know the whole thing that, uh, that drove me nuts is like you are in Texas. You lived in Texas. The whole thing was like you guys were already in Texas. Everyone in Texas owns a gun. What are you doing driving through West Texas in the middle of the night by yourselves unarmed? Like I there's a, another conversation to be had about gun ownership in this country that we can have not on this podcast. But again, know your area, know who you're around, know who you, where you are. West Texas of all places in the middle of the night on our own is not a place I would ever go unarmed.
0: Well, and then not only that, the other thing that drives me kind of nuts about that is why were you even doing this drive at this point in time?
1: It's the uh, middle of the night. They you mentioned are... it that the daughter wanted to drive through the night to be there first thing in the morning.
0: I understand that. I, I, I understand that, that, that the daughter has wants and needs as well. You know, I understand. I understand this is loose concept of we would like to be there sooner. Totally okay. get it. At the same time, that is so irresponsible. Uh, even even outside of the danger aspect of it of other vehicles driving through the night like that, it is like driving while tired is very very deadly. Yeah. It's I, hard and if you're if you're doing it so out there in the middle of nowhere that you are incapable of being near any cell phone tower, Because the way 911 works is it's not about your cell phone service. It's about if there's a serviceable cell phone tower within reach of your phone, because 911 does not operate by your cell provider. It operates Mm -hmm. based on available towers. So if you're that far out in the middle of fucking nowhere, to the point where once you commit to the drive, you have to finish it. I mean, that in of itself is an insane person's decision.
1: Uh, I'll disagree that's an insane person's decision. I feel like if we were planning this trip okay you know we don't want to whatever rationally from the comfort of your own home planning this out i feel like you could very easily overestimate your own capability like if you plan on driving through the night yeah you can change your sleep schedule you know the day leading up to it to be awake throughout the night you know some people don't get nearly as affected you know getting tired while driving as others like i could never do that because i fall asleep during the day while driving i get why he might not be under that same effect it, it not being nearly a big deal but we're really like picking at like nitty gritty details here and i don't know if we necessarily need to i just feel like okay the situation could have been better but i don't think it innately would have led to any of this
0: My other question, because I wasn't sure how to read it. and I was wondering if you had a read on it. The flat tire. yeah, Flat on its own or flat because the guy who was circling the car slashed it?
1: Definitely a slash. Okay. He couldn't pull out onto the road with it. There's no way he was driving along that road and could have pulled over with it being flat. That's what I thought. Actually, I've never personally driven on a flat tire. I've only had it described to me so that I know what it's like if it were to happen. I feel like I would have said, fuck this car and just kind of did it anyway. I don't oh, know absolutely. Five wheel drive, real, real weird words. But uh, I don't know if it would have even been capable of, you know, I've, at the I've, end of the day. But I've yeah.
0: blown a tire and. Try driving home on it because I was like 18 and didn't know what I was doing. Um, and the car will move. It, yeah. it it will keep going.
1: I will say pulling up onto a road after being in the dirt. I Maybe that's a very different situation, especially. Dude, I merged onto a highway. Front wheel dro- right. What I'm saying is like, <laughs> all right, like you're at speed though. You can kind of speed up. It's all level ground. You know how like asphalt just kind of tapers off and it's just like a a a couple like two or three inch lip there i could understand being at a dead stop trying to pull the car up over that lip with the front tire leading the way the front you know driver's side tires the one trying to pull itself up and onto the road being flat being a difficulty but again, I, we are very focused on very, very small details here.
0: Yeah, and we are certainly in the weeds on this. So uh, what do you say we move into final rating and review on it and then move into sure. our second film of the evening? So to that effect, Corwin, uh, give, me, give me some words and, uh, and some stars.
1: Um, again, I, I do think this was a very well done movie in a, an emotional and visual sense. Um, writing was good to some extent. I cannot say it's a well-written movie Whole like, as a whole. Um, just kind of too many issues with fitting these pieces together in one complete story. Um, I'm still going to give it a four, though. I think it's still a, a very good movie, one I would definitely recommend. Um, but man, it's, I don't know if I'll be able to watch this again for a second time, just knowing how that B storyline goes
0: um i i was so hung up on the fact that the a storyline was basically non-existent and kind of meaningless that it really detracted from my ability to sit and find joy and purpose in the b storyline and i have complaints about the b storyline too um i I laughed when jake Hall killed himself i thought that was hysterical
1: um uh i thought it was very fitting for the story i didn't laugh though
0: no i thought it was funny it was so dumb um but uh michael shan's great in this um oh, yeah. i'll give it a one and a half i wouldn't really recommend yeah. i'm I, okay. i'm not surprised i missed this
1: i will say i you know hearing you talk about it i should have known that you would have felt that way because this seems like a very you kind of movie to to dislike
0: and what's funny is I was watching it and I, I said to myself, I know Corwin's going to love this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have very right.
1: different styles, but boy, we, uh, we know each other well.
0: Yes, yeah. yes, sir. Yes, we do. All right, let, let's bring it down now into the second film of the show as we're like, I don't even, I can't even tell, like an hour in probably. Um, and that is 1999's All About My Mother, which was written and directed by Pedro Almodovar, Starring Cecilia Roth, Marisa Paradis, and Candela Pena. Um, this film had an estimated budget of $50 million and a cumulative worldwide gross of $68 million, um, which, uh, oh, actually, sorry, $50,000. Hmm. Not 50, oh, okay. So this is like a huge success then. Hold on, let me like double check that. Yeah, or sorry, okay, corrected figure because there was a comma missing on the IMDb page. About $5 million, box (laughs) office 67.8. So the box office is right, but the IMDb page is missing a comma. So I just read that same number two different ways.
1: Still, 5 and 68 are, that's a great return. That's a great investment as a film, as a production company.
0: Very difficult to do as a foreign language film because they don't often get this, because most Box office you get is typically in uh, the U.S. and to a very large extent Asia, and the films that typically do very well in Asia that come out of anywhere that's not Asia are big budget action films because they're just easy to to appeal to everybody.
1: That aren't on
0: Oh yeah, um, so you know your Avengers will do well in Asia you're you know like King Kongs will do like anything that has like a big budget to it because movie theaters will actually like promote that shit um and without the U.S. and Asia being really behind it it's actually fascinating that this even got to 68 million dollars that's quite a feat because Mm -hmm. it's coming out of Spain it's foreign language for U.S. watchers which is a huge hurdle here regardless that's very impressive I didn't realize that um All right, the tagline of this film is part of every woman is a mother, actress, saint, sinner, and part of every man is a woman. Uh, This film did win one Oscar. It was for best foreign language film coming from Spain. Um, It is about young Esteban, who wants to become a writer and also to discover the identity of his second mother, a trans woman, carefully concealed by his mother, Manuela. Now, this was my film. This was my pick. So I will get us started. This I think this is a fascinating movie and I absolutely love it. I am a I'm a very big fan of Pedro Almodovar. I watched with my girlfriend Volver right after this because I was I'm on a kick now. I'm going to watch his other films that are on HBO Max soon because they're just so they're such interesting takes and perspectives and viewpoints on what I think, I think it's the loudest possible way to make a point that is still relatively succinct. And I find his ability to add so much melodrama and so much soap operatic chaos, but still have it be weirdly grounded in a sense weirdly realistic and plays in a way that it doesn't feel like you're watching like the high art version of a soap opera while also still feeling like you are doing that, but that it's not cartoonish. Like th- th- there's a, there's an interesting balance that I think sits in here while also addressing the point of, again, what he's trying to get across here. Um, there's obviously a lot of moving parts in this film, but I'm excited to hear, good buddy, what you thought of it
1: um i definitely thought it was a lot the balance wasn't quite there i thought it was heavily more towards soap opera i mean there were some scenes like the the four ladies or three there were four that yeah the four ladies all sitting in um her apartment just having a good time talking and it's like that was so real like that was genuine that was honest that was real that felt real but there were so many scenes that were just like uh this is I don't know the names of any soap operas, but it felt like a soap opera. And I just, it just seemed like a, a whole lot of like just too much. And, and it just, it wasn't always there for me. I really fucking hated this movie for the first, like half an hour um, until I realized that the subtitles on HBO.
0: Oh my God. They were awful. Right. Were
1: not complete. No, they weren't. They were just like half sentences. Every other sentence. And then I inevitably was like, all right, this is fucked. This is, there's something wrong here. So I switched to the closed captioning, which just layered it over the built-in subtitles.
0: Because the built-in subtitles were At- hard-coded but also not complete. And how does that happen?
1: I don't know. That's fucking insane to me. But the normal subtitles, like the closed captioning subtitles in HBO, were on like a, a second and a half delay.
0: Oh, my God. We had the same exact viewing experience.
1: (laughs) And it's just like I I'd be like all I'd have to go back and miss things because I accidentally read the wrong subtitles during a scene because they're just overlapping each other. And the incomplete ones would always pop up first. So I'd start reading those and then I'd read it again when the rest popped up. And it's just like, I I don't care. Like, this is ridiculous. Um,
0: And what's interesting,
1: but when we watched
0: Volver, we were I was like ready for this. And I was bracing for a shit experience. And then that one was fine. They, there were no hard-coded um, subtitles. Oh, there were some, again. But the regular, like, closed captioning worked totally fine. And I'm like, how? How did this happen?
1: Usually they'll have it where you can kind of, like, dig in the settings and kind of change the delay so that you can, if it is off, you can make it fit. And this, you know, I guess HBO doesn't offer that. Um, but, yeah, it was at the end of the day, I just think it was too soapy for me. I couldn't really get over that. I thought the acting was hit or miss. Like um, whoever played the main actress had some really tremendous scenes and I I really enjoyed some scenes and others just kind of seemed a little forced and soapy. Uh, I thought Penelope Cruz was excellent throughout. I thought um, the actress who played... um, misagreeable agora, agora agora agrado agrado thank you um again it was very difficult to read uh, it was a couple of days ago now so um i really enjoyed it. she was probably you know outside of penelope cruz like she was probably my favorite part of the film she was wonderful um really loved that uh the fact that i i guess i i am very closeted or at least just have no reason to know what the transvestite scene was like in 1999 in Barcelona. But boy, just like that, almost like clockwork orange scene of just like, like that kind circle of setting. was just like that. I, I will accept this as reality, but I just cannot imagine this existing.
0: Yeah, when uh, when, when um, Manuela gets dropped off in the circle with, with all mm-hmm. the, the prostitutes, Kel was like, wait, they're just there, like in the street? And I'm like, yeah, like, where do you think all the prostitutes go? <laughs>
1: like, And it's, you know, one thing it's like, I watched this immediately after watching Nocturnal Animals. So watching that cab drop her off there and speed off, I was just like straight PTSD, just like, don't go. You can't leave her there. Uh, and it all worked out in the end because she Beat a man with the rock, and then they were like, "Ah, yeah, he tried to beat and rape me, but let's bring him back to the fire. He'll, he'll be okay." He got no, with the s- rock, he's fine now.
0: She sent him over to the tops.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> that guy was going to go get
0: fucked in the ass.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. I I did not put two and two together there. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Um, again, all the more reason to be my favorite character in this. Um,
0: oh, grado
1: just to, to close out the acting I thought Esteban was fucking awful uh, Yeah, and noticing that this was like the only film he ever acted in I get it shouldn't have acted in this one but just was bad
0: so, so were, I mean were you... it just
1: never really it never hooked me it never connected with me it was like ah oh, that's a good scene ah oh, that was good here I don't care for that that and that and it just was scenes were hit and miss and it never really connected as an entire story together
0: Were you surprised when Esteban died in like the first 10 minutes?
1: Um, It was one of those things where it's like I blinked and all of a sudden the car windshield was shattered and it's like, okay, all right. I genuinely was so uncomfortable by their relationship to begin with that. I was like, okay, I'm glad this is going a different direction because if it was just him and her as like the focus of the story for two hours i would be in much much worse of a mood talking about this because i i honestly watched that first handful of scenes with the two of them together like three times to try and pick up the kind of mood and the tone like i really didn't know a single thing about this movie i didn't read any you know synopsis storyline tagline anything And based off of how he kind of like looked and treated his mother and how they were around each other, I was like, is this going to get into some like creepy incestual relationship bullshit? Like all about my mother. Like, this is getting weird. I don't like this. And then he was brutally killed. And I was like, ah, relief. Nice.
0: So, you know, given that the title is all about my mother, which is, you know, like reflexive upon one's, you know, like first person perspective and then the character whom you know has the mother in the film as the main actress dies. Like what were you expecting after that?
1: Um I thought it was I honestly can't say I, I like jumped to any conclusions about what I was expecting until it was pretty clear he was going to go search for the father. Because that's a very quick jump of hey him dying okay I'm gonna go find his father. And, uh, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't really try and guess anything. I didn't really try to predict anything. It was just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to see where this goes because this has been a very weird and, and not great movie so far. I'm just going to get through it and see how see what happens. And, yeah, I mean, it turned itself around because it, it started off quite low. Um, it, it wasn't anything special to me. It didn't grab me, you know, overarching again, but... It, it still had its moments.
0: I I think it's it's a really fascinating and meaningful take on motherhood, which is very appropriate since we watch this over Mother's Day weekend. What um, was that intended? Not at all. I realized it after Mother's Day.
1: <laughs> yeah, like watching it, watching parts of like on Mother's Day, it's like, oh, I get it now.
0: Because it, you know, it's interesting, Manuela. Experiences the loss of her son, and then immediately gets thrust into a couple different motherhood style roles very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, she ends up taking care of Penelope Cruz's character, and she acts very motherly and and, and nurses Ogrado back to some health after she after the, the you know the attempted rape scene at the very beginning, and she takes care of um Huma like after their, her. Uh, co-star whose name escapes me went off to, to go score and then ends up becoming her assistant, you know, kind of, but really more of like a, you know, like this vague essence of um, like a maternal presence. And that that's her character throughout the whole film. And you get these brief snippets of mourning the loss of her son any time his name comes up or any mention of his, of his being. And, you know, there's these little references towards Uh, like his notebook and you see some of it here and there. And, you know, my brain, I'm used to movies like this being like, oh, we're going to like learn about the sun post-mortem through the notebook in some way. And no, not, not really. You know, it really focuses on Manuela's ride through revisiting her past, how she kind of got to where she is today and who she is as a person as a woman grieving and as someone now in this stage of their life, as well as a look at, I guess, kind of like what motherhood then looks like from the perspective of Esteban's former father, Lola. Um,
1: it, Man, he's a real piece of shit, isn't he?
0: He sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, so that's the other thing that I, I'm kind I'm trying to be cognizant. Yeah, no,
1: that was, that was fully my mistake.
0: No, that's fine. Because it, it it it's, I think if the movie was made today, they wouldn't stay like transvestite anymore. I think this would you know just be classified as transgender because it's tough to look at, you know, someone who has like got fucking top surgery and say that no, you're just a tra- you're just a transvestite, you're just someone who likes to dress like a woman. I, th- I think at that point, you know, where we stand today would be very different.
1: It's it's a definitely a very gray area, especially you know, the world we live in now and how. Um, mainstream, almost it's become how um, a part of everyday life it's become. Looking back at a time when it's no different, but also in a way, like physically, very very different. Um, it's very hard to kind of find where we're supposed to be in on that line, and you know I, I'm not going to sit here and say the way we're referring to it the way i've been referring to it is correct if there is a better take and someone who is more well versed who wants to you know reach out and say like hey no this is the right way please by all means just trying to do it in the most correct way and the most respectable respectable way possible respectful trying to be sensitive of it
0: and it can also be tough because it's like you know are the translators using 1990s uses of these Spanish words that we're not going to pick up on. Like there's all types of stuff like that. Right. Um, but anyway, I, you know, getting to see like when you see the overbearing at times nature of Penelope Cruz's mother, that becomes very um, warm and, and touching after Penelope Cruz gets sick. Penelope Cruz willing to sacrifice her entire body and being literally to have her child because she thinks that because motherhood is that important to her, you know, uh, Manuela going on this whole sojourn because of really just how much her son meant to her and how much getting the opportunity to be a mother meant to her that she felt the need to in some ways share that feeling of motherhood with Lola, um, and even. Agarado gets this really lovely moment where she's on stage and, you know, talks about the costs associated with being a woman, but like it's, you know, the closer you get towards being who you're supposed to be, the closer you become to being authentic, even though she has, she's had all the surgery and, and there's, it's, it's a great look at womanhood really that I think, again, it's very big. It's very, very big. And there's so much that happens I I, I I think it's a very different perspective and avenue to get to that point than you'd get really anywhere else. And I think that kind of singularity, as well as the true warmth that the film comes across with. I mean, even when you eventually meet Lola and you want to be like, fuck this woman. <laughs> and you, you see her and you want to be like, you fuck you. And you get that moment. But even then, there get she gets to feel like a mother at, at a point and, and you get a sense that while she's a piece of shit, there's some part within her, whether that be, you know, that the maternal aspect or just some small shred of humanity that lets her have a little, you know, cherishable moment in there. And I, I think that's all important and impactful. And, and I enjoyed the ride, but I am also – a fan of busier shit than you are.
1: Uh, I won't take that as an insult about no, my intelligence. Insult.
0: No, that's not an insult.
1: That's why I'm not taking it as one. Yeah. God, listen to what I have to say though. What <laughs> the fuck? You.
0: Fuck you, you stupid bitch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's it. That feels more natural.
0: <laughs> uh, um yeah, I don't know. I I d I don't really have much else to say about this. Do you do you have anything?
1: no i mean i'm glad i watched it because it's looking back this must have been an incredibly just mind-blowingly important film for so many people across the world at a time when there was so many people living under that kind of umbrella of hey the way you live your life and who you are isn't acceptable and we don't accept you we don't accept your choices who you claim to be. And I feel like this probably was a film that helped a lot of people and was, you know, a confidence booster. I don't want to say confidence booster because I, I feel like that's underselling it by quite a lot, but I feel like this did a lot for so many people. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going to give it a th- three. Um it's one of those where I'm like real wishy-washy. I think it's like a uh, uh, kind of 50 overall, just I don't know where to stand. I'm so undecided, but because of the the impact, the cultural impact, the societal impact and the message it was trying to say, I'm bumping it up a little bit. It deserves but it. That is eternity. fair.
0: Um, th- there's, there's a lot more to get into just as I'm sitting here thinking about looking at my notes, you know, the, the, the title is a reference to, a film that you see in the film um, all about Eve, uh, which comes up in the um, play world where um, Manuela takes over for Huma's co-star. Um, that's a very all about Eve Nina. type moment. Nina. Thank you. Jesus. Um, there's that's also the one
1: name I fucking was able to remember One you can't. It... <laughs> I love it.
0: Love it, buddy. Um, There's also, I mean, the Tennessee Williams play just regarding desire is featured heavily throughout the play, the the film. Uh, And also, you know, there's varying themes to draw from in there. There's a lot of layering in this film that is somewhat predicated upon your well-versedness in other films and I guess theater uh, experiences. But I think even leaving it all to the side, which is why I, you know, there's no point in really bringing it up much at this point, especially um, since we're kind of sure. at the end here. But um, even if you don't have any of that, I think it all still comes across. But regardless, uh, I'm going to I'm giving this a four and a half. I I and I, I would honestly I would give every Pedro Almodovar, Almodovar film a four and a half because I love him. Um, I think he does amazing work, but
1: well, you love him so much. Why don't you marry him?
0: Uh man, I fucking would love that guy. He does such great work. Uh, but regardless, this is. I I, I think I, my summary at, at the end, right before Corbin spoke, kind of encapsulates what I would probably have said at this point. But I, I it, it it's it's a you will not watch another movie like it. <laughs> and I think that in of itself has value. And I think it's a very touching film. I think that has value. And those two things together,
1: I'm giving it a four and a half. Okay. I'm with it. Jiggy all
0: right big guy so then let's pick our movies for next week corwin do you have one on deck hello corwin
1: yeah do you have do you have a movie on deck i don't uh i was telling myself i needed to look through my list while this was going on and then i didn't do that
0: all right well while you're doing that i will share uh, I'm going in a very different direction. I really had to talk myself out of picking more Pedro Almodovar films um, because there are, I'm going to rewatch all of them over the next couple of weeks because I am just so mm. excited to, that they're, I, I just found out that they're all on HBO Max, so I'm going to watch all of them. But I figured I would not subject you to the, same rewatch that I'm going through. So I'm not going to do that. Um, and instead, I'm going to go uh, even weirder in a, in a weirder direction. And we're going to watch uh Mulholland Drive.
1: Oh, I've never watched it. And I've always wanted to.
0: I'm excited for this ride, buddy.
1: Um, I'm on my movie list. I have Scott Pilgrim versus the world on here. Oh. Nice. But I just watched it. So I'm not going to pick it.
0: Oh, damn. I should rewatch that, too.
1: That's such a good You movie. should rewatch it. It's fucking phenomenal. Great movie. Um, I am going to pick a movie that I should have picked this week because we just talked about um, the actor and the whole premise of making a film like this. I'm going to go Police Story with Jackie Chan.
0: Ah, okay.
1: 1985, Police Story.
0: I'm with it. That sounds good to me.
1: Now who's picking the foreign films? Holy shit. Oh, that's as a series. Oh, I looked on uh, Wikipedia and it just was like, oh, box office, 264 million. And it's like a Hong Kong made unknown Jackie Chan police story movie made 264 million dollars. But it's as a series.
0: Never bet against Jackie Chan.
1: Never bet against Jackie Chan.
0: You ever seen Rumble in the Bronx? Nope. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite, like, lesser Known Jackie Chan movies. So good. Plus, it takes place in the Bronx. BX all day. You're all right. Anyway, um... (laughs) (laughs) that's it for this week, then, I guess. Uh, Make sure uh, if you want to follow. Us on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. We don't post them there very often. So if you want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. Again, next week's films are Mulholland Drive and Police Story. Check them out before the show. Or don't, I don't fucking give a shit, bitch. Um, that is it. Until next Tuesday, y'all have a good one.
1: Bye.